Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning. And Father, we are humbled just to be here. We are so thankful to be in your your church with your people. And Father, we give this time to you. And as we go into your word now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts, our understanding, and challenge us, Father, to live differently in this world. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, why don't you all be seated? While they're sitting uh, or taking their seats, if you've noticed in your bulletin, we're starting a new series next week on James. A lot of different topics, a lot of different things to talk about there in the book of James. So I want to encourage you to be here for that study, but that'll begin next Sunday. Also, um, there aren't any growth groups tonight, so if you're wondering, um, we're not meeting. A lot of people were going to be gone because of taking off going Super Bowl parties and things like that, so we just canceled it. It'll start again next Sunday night, okay? So don't come to my house tonight, all right? All right, you know, as you look into the world, you notice uh, very quickly just by listening to the news that things in the country are just seem, seem to be getting worse. Um, not better, but they really are getting worse. It seems like the country is becoming more anti-God, anti-family, anti-freedom. It's just against everything. And everything good that we grew up with, everything good that matters to us just seems to be of no value to anybody. Um, it's, I don't know how this all of a sudden seemed to have happened, but it just seems like, or maybe we're just more aware of it because of the news, but... It just seems like uh, things just are getting worse. People say, well, what do we do? How do we turn this around and what can possibly make a change? So we think, well, politics might. If you get the right guy in the office and get enough people in Congress and so forth, that might make a difference. Of course, that'll help. We can't deny that. And I want to encourage all of you to be involved in that process of of voting and so forth. But that's not really the answer, not long term, because pretty soon it'll swing back the other way. And somebody ungodly will be in there that wants to do things differently. Think, well, maybe we can make some new laws. And maybe new laws would would force people to do the things that we ought to be doing, the things that we know are morally and spiritually right, and uh, maybe turn our country around. Well, again, that wouldn't hurt by any means. certainly would help. Um, But again, that's not the answer because... Somebody else gets in power and somebody else gets control and they change laws and things like that. So that's always going to go back and forth. What is it that's going to make a lasting difference and how do we do that as Christians living in this society that seems to be so anti-everything we stand for? How can we make a difference and uh, uh, make some lasting change? It's interesting that as you go back into the New Testament, and you begin to look at the life of the apostles and what they did and how they did it, they would go into a pagan society, a a town or province that was into idolatry. They were into, you talk about um, uh, human trafficking. Oh, my gosh, they were into human trafficking like you can't believe. Slavery was rampant. Child abuse everywhere. Uh, Child slavery, it didn't matter. They would sacrifice children to pagan gods on the altars of their idols. It was a horrible, horrible situation. And these apostles went into these societies, these cities, and they just turned the world upside down. And they just made, uh, brought about change in the lives of people that is still, uh, still affecting the world today. And even though they were hostile and moral pagans, they were able to do something 
that for some reason it just seems like we've lost sight of or we're not able to, to bring about that change. Now, how do they impact that culture? See, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to look with you in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We've studied 1 Thessalonians several years ago. But I want to go back to this passage, and I want you to see with me just what they did, how it was that they impacted their society, how they did it. And as we do that, then let's take what we learn from this, uh, what they did, what they were able to do, and learn from it, and then begin to apply it to our situation here in which we live. Because even though we may not, in, in this county we live in, be suffering a lot of the anti-God and anti-country and so forth, the attitudes that you might find up north somewhere, but still is heading in this direction. And whether it comes or whether it doesn't, whether our society changes or not, it still is our responsibility to affect that change. In other words, to bring about something that will be lasting. So what I want to do today is give you three observations from this passage. Three things that if you and I can begin to understand and begin to apply to our lives, then I think we'll at least have succeeded in doing our part. Um, Change takes time. And to affect an entire group of people, an entire area, is going to take time. But if we don't ever do our part, then nothing will ever change. And so we as a society of believers need to understand our responsibility and do our part to change the world in which we live. And so I want to share with you these three things, these observations, these principles. And as we do that, hopefully if you begin to apply them, you'll at least begin to affect the world around you. And if you do that, no telling what God's going to do with it from there, okay? Let me read you this passage, though, and then we will begin to talk about it. First Thessalonians chapter 1, I want to read verses 4 through 10, and then we'll break it up and talk about it. Paul writing to the Thessalonian church that he had been to before and now years later is writing back. But he says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, this is one of those passages that when we read it, it's right here in the beginning of the book, we usually read over it very quickly and just don't pay any attention to it. Paul spends a lot of time, you know, greeting people and things like that. And so we read through that and we just think, well, that's just a general opening statement. It's not a lot of stuff there that's going to change your life. But I want to challenge that, okay? I want to challenge that. And I want you to begin to look at this in a different way as we pick it apart to see, okay, how did they do it? Because it says in here 
that these Thessalonians turned from their idols to God. Now that's a lot. That says a tremendous amount about the power that took place in, in, in changing that whole society. How did they do it? Okay, here's number one. It's going to take, if we are going to make a difference in this world, first of all, a life-changing message. We've got to understand that. that it is going to be, this is a necessity that you cannot escape. It is going to be you and I proclaiming, teaching, sharing a message that is life-changing. Now, making a distinction between just generally what people as Christians say and do and what really has the power to change a life. There's a life-changing message, and then there's just religious talk. Okay? Let me read you again verses 4 and 5. Paul says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Now, that's just another way of saying God has saved you, and it's obvious to us that He did. We can see it. We're aware of it. Because, here's the reason, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Now, let's look at it closely, okay? Paul says, I look at you guys and I say to myself, these guys are solid believers who've moved from idols to Christianity. They're solid believers, and I know that because I can see it. And what I see is the power of God in their lives bringing about change. I can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit there with them. And I can see the deep conviction with which they have accepted it and believe it and are living it out in everyday life. And I also have recognized that here's how it happened. It happened because of our gospel. In other words, he's not saying we made this up. He's saying this is the message that we taught. And he's saying there's power in the message that we gave you. And it wasn't empty words like they had heard so many times before. But this, this was different because this was the message of grace that you had never heard before. This was the message that opened up for you the power of God that was available to you. And nothing else would do it. There was no other message, no other religious talk. There was no other challenge. There was nothing that was going to move you from idolatry into Christianity other than this message that I proclaim to you, this message that is life-changing. Let me read you this verse. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, Paul said this. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it, the gospel, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And he said, now, I'm not ashamed of what I'm teaching. I don't look at it and think this is foolishness or this is simplistic. Because, guys, it is simple. We're the ones that make it so hard. I see this as power. Because when you understand the grace of God and you open yourself up to receive the Spirit of God, which happens to everyone that believes, then life changes. Anything other than that is just religious talk. And it does not affect any change in a person's life. And you and I need to understand that there's power in the simplicity and the truth of the gospel. That's what makes a difference in a person's life. Everybody has been Christianized. We've gone to the churches. We've heard preachers. We've heard things taught. We're confused. We we don't know up from down about what the truth is. 
and we look at our lives and we think to ourselves, what in the world is going on? Why is there no change? Why is there no power here? Why is it that I don't sense what everybody else seems to be aware of? And maybe, just maybe, it's because what you have bought into is religion and not a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you see, this is the difference in the message. This is the thing that makes the difference in the message. You and I have to give a clear understanding to people about what Jesus did on the cross. And it is not Jesus plus us. It is not grace plus works. It is not Jesus plus anything. And yet we hear it time after time after time. And even sometimes we ourselves present it that way. And when we present grace and works as a way of salvation, even if it's subtle, if a person is not putting their faith in Jesus Christ alone, but still thinking, and you can always tell, all you've got to do is ask them. If you died today, what would happen? And they'll say, well, I think. Well, that right there tells you they don't understand. Because they're relying, at least in part, on their own ability. And when you mix that together, Paul was very clear, when you mix grace and works, you nullify both. Because you can't do it. And so there has to be a life-changing message that you and I preach. And you and I have to give it clearly so that people can understand it. Because when they understand it and receive it, lives change. It needs to be all of God. It needs to be all by grace. And it needs to be only through faith. Anything other than that will not bring about a change in a person's life. It's almost as if the true message opens up then the Spirit to do His work in the life of an individual. You and I cannot give a message that for any reason leads a person to think they had anything to do with their salvation. We'll do it, though. We'll say, yeah, well, here's the way you get saved. You've got to give up this, stop doing that, promise this, and then believe, and then God will save you. You know what? That's not the true message. That's not the one that saves. That is not the one that changes lives. That is not the message that unleashes the power of the Spirit. And yet we don't understand that. We think to ourselves, I've got to help God out. And if I help God out by bringing in the works, which should come later, we're not against that, we're just saying later, and we mix those two together, nobody understands and nobody gets saved and nobody changes. So that message has to be clear. In order for a person to trust Christ, They've got to let go of themselves. Do you understand that? If I'm going to depend on you, Christ, entirely and completely, then I have got to let go of my own confidence in myself and my ability to save myself. That's the works, you see. That's the self-righteousness. You can't mix the two. So my message, your message, has to be clear. Only through Christ. Only through faith. And when I do that, then God does the work of changing. And see, this is so important because I've told you this over and over and over. You probably are getting tired of hearing it. You can't save a soul. Not a soul, not one can you argue into the gates of heaven. You cannot do it. Only God can change a person. Only God can change a heart. It's your responsibility and it's mine to proclaim a clear message. The clear message is what the Spirit of God takes and then breaks through the facade of a person's heart. 
And the Spirit changes people. And Paul says, look, I came to you and I didn't know anything. I just preached what I knew, what Jesus or God had told me. That it's only through Christ. And you received it and you changed. And I know from what I see in your life that God saved you. And that's what he's saying here. A life-changing message. If you and I are going to affect this society, then you and I have got to be involved in proclaiming that individually, one-on-one, over lunch someday, over coffee, from a pulpit, from a classroom, whatever. But you and I have got to be involved in making sure that that message is clear so that the Spirit of God can break the heart of an individual. Here's the second thing that you and I have got to do if we're going to affect any kind of change, and that is this. We've got to present a life that others want to emulate. We've got to live in such a way that other people want to be like that. It's an example. It's a testimony, you see. We're proclaiming by the way we live that, hey, this thing really works. This salvation, this Christianity, it can change you. I look out here and I see some people that were not a whole lot different than the Thessalonians some time ago. But boy, God's done a work on you, hasn't he? And God has changed you, hasn't he? And it began with a clear message that you accepted by putting your faith in Christ. And then as the Spirit of God began to work, your life began to change. And old habits began to fall away, and you experienced a a power in your life that you've never had before. And all of a sudden, your life began to change. And people all of a sudden started looking at you saying, I want what you've got. I want that. Let me read you this verse, or two verses, really. In verse six, verses 6 and 7, the same passage, 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, Macedonia is a region. It's like saying Henderson County. And in Henderson County, there are certain cities. Um, Thessalonica was a city in Macedonia. Paul said, look, when people began, or let's back it up. He said, when you saw us and we came to you, you were new in your faith and you didn't know what to do, but you saw in us something that you wanted. And so you began to imitate us. You ever done that? I mean, I can remember when I first became a, a believer. There would be people that God brought into my life, and I'd look at them and I'd think to myself, you know, I want, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. All through seminary, Bible college, whatever, even in churches, I've seen people throughout my, my life that I think to myself, I want a marriage like that, or I want to be that kind of a parent or whatever. I want to emulate them. You know what? That is a good thing. Because God says to you and me, that I have saved you and I have restored you and I have put you on solid ground and I've changed your life and now I want you to be a beacon, an example to other people that would draw them to what you've got, you know? And so when they come to you eager to know what it is about you and they hear the clear message, then God does his work. And that's how we bring about change. But let me read you this um, Now, let me move on. Whenever we um, talk about change or or see people seeing change in us or wanting to emulate us, 
Here's what I'm talking about. When people see, for example, your conviction, you have a conviction that you're going to live a certain way and nothing is going to change that. And then they see how strong you are. They say to themselves, I want that. I want to imitate that. I want to be like that person. When they see your faith, when things go wrong, and this is what Paul said, he said, you guys, you accepted this gospel that we preach in the middle of severe suffering. It was going bad for you guys. And yet you still came to Christ. You know, we look at people and we think to ourselves, their life is falling apart and their faith is so strong. Man, I want to be like that. I want to imitate that. I want to imitate your integrity. I want to be like you in the workplace. I want to be honest like you, you see. I want a marriage like you. I want to be kind like you. I want to be the kind of parent that you are with your kids. That's what I want. See, that's what people need to see. I want to be involved in my church and sold out to to the Lord like you are. But sometimes we're not that way. And in reality, what people are really asking for is just for somebody to be authentic and real. There's so many fake Christians. I'm not questioning whether they're believers or not. I'm just saying that Christians who don't know any better, who think that somehow God is going to judge them and their success in this life by their own self-righteousness, by their own ability to pretend to be something they're not. Sometimes we act like hypocrites. We do. We say one thing and do another. But yet we keep that facade up there, don't we? We keep that f- mask on, that, that fake image that everybody sees, and they don't really understand the person that's hurting and failing behind the mask. And sometimes what people need to see is the real you, the real believer. They don't want fake. They don't want hypocrisy. They don't want self-righteous pride. And we go out into this world pretending to be good Christians and people know better. And it just turns them off. And we ought to be living a life because this is what's going to change society is that you and I portray an example, a testimony that draws people to Jesus Christ because they see it working in you. You see? Let me read you these last these two verses here with this with this particular point. In verse three here in First Thessalonians two, and I'm jumping ahead to, to chapter two in verse three. He says, For the appeal that we made does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. He said, Look, when we brought this message to you, we were just honest, just real. That's all people want to see. In verse 5 on down, it says this, You know we never used flattery, nor, nor did we put a mask on to cover up greed. God is our witness. We didn't put a mask on and pretend to be somebody else. We didn't come after your money and pretend that we cared about you. You see? And so Paul is just saying, this is what helped you Thessalonians to come to the Lord and for your lives to be forever changed because we were real in your midst. And that's so important that we do that. They need to see a life 
that they want to duplicate. And that's what you and I need to become. We need to have a message that's clear and life-changing. And we need to live a life that other people want to follow and be like. Now here's the third thing. The last thing is this. We need to have a genuine desire to help other people grow spiritually. There needs to be a genuine desire among every one of us that we really care about people growing spiritually. Now, let me um, read you this verse. It's in, go back to chapter 1 now, verses 9 and 10. Watch this. Paul says, For they themselves, talking about the people around that are reporting on these Thessalonians and what God has done, he says, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait on his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. In other words, he's saying your lives were transformed. And everybody around you is talking about it. They're telling, and I'm hearing it, how you turned from idols and your life was affected and you're growing spiritually. When Paul went into the, among the Thessalonians, it must have been awfully intimidating. Think about this. You've got people who were in all kind of pagan beliefs, had their idols up, and would fight you at the drop of a hat over you coming against or condemning any of their religious beliefs. That was hard. But yet they did it anyway. And they did it by proclaiming grace and living a life that people were attracted to. And pretty soon people began to understand, you genuinely care about us. You genuinely care about us. Now watch, because this is what Paul tells them or reminds them of. This is how we were when we were in your midst. Now watch this. In verse 8, he says, So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. Now, guys, listen to what he's saying, okay? He goes into a strange town, and he tells them, I care about you. He says, I love you. How could he love them? He did not even know them. And everything about them repelled him, repulsed him. When you talk about abusing children and sacrificing children, when you talk about the temple prostitutes that they used in their worship services in the pagan churches or pagan religions. When you look at all the things they did in those pagan nations, it simply repulsed him like it does us. And yet he says to these people, he said, I cared about you and I loved you. Now how can you love somebody like that? Well, you love them because you see what God can do with them. And what God can, how God can change them. When, when we say we love the sinner, we're not talking about the sin. You don't find that in the New Testament. You don't find Paul loving them in their sin because of what they're doing. You find Paul loving the person, knowing full well that God has the power to change them. And see, that's why he could say, I love you guys. And every person it seems that Paul came in contact with, he looked at them as a potential 
witness for Christ. He saw them coming to Christ. He saw them growing in their faith. He saw them changing the world. Listen to this verse in verse 11. Well, verses 11 and 12, I'll read them together. He says, For you know that we dealt with you, with each of you, as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He says, listen, we came to you and we encouraged you. We stood beside you. We walked you through the teaching of Christ. We, We spent time with you because we genuinely had a desire to see you grow in your faith. Guys, do people know that you care? Do they know? You see, sometimes we portray this self-righteous attitude that repels people. That says, basically, you're unworthy of my love. You're unworthy of my time. I don't want to be around you. I don't like people like you. And I want to challenge you on that because it is ungodly. Because God says to you and me that if you're going to affect this society, then you've got to stop being so pious. And you've got to start loving people. Not to sin the people, the potential that that person is going to be. Knowing full well what God can do to them. Now guys, when we do that, everything changes. And that's the thing we've got to ask ourselves. Does anybody see that I'm a compassionate person? Does anybody experience my forgiveness? Am I helping anybody grow spiritually? That's what we all have to ask. And if we're not, then we need to make some changes because as we've seen here, if anything is going to change society the way Paul changed the Thessalonians, it's going to take a clear and compelling message that we preach and teach that can change lives. The truth is what changes them. The Spirit is unleashed when we preach it. And we've also got to see that we need to have a genuine desire, or they've got to see that we have a genuine desire to help them. And that we, have, we live a life that they want to emulate or be like. All of these things are necessary and required if you and I are going to change society. Man, that's, that's my prayer. I want to be that person. And I think you do too. But we've got to understand that if that's the case and I genuinely want to be that person, then I've, I've got to make some changes. And I've got to understand how to present that gospel in a way that unleashes God and his power in the life of that person. To stop giving mixed signals, mixed messages, things that keep people from understanding. Cut to the chase and get to the heart of it. It's grace. It always has been. And I've got to be careful the way I live among people. That I've got to live in such a way that they are drawn to God, not repulsed by God. And sometimes we Christians push people away. And then we've got to let them know and show them that we really want to see them grow. Now here again, let's imagine, okay? Let's imagine that dogwood was that way. Let's imagine that every one of us took it upon ourselves to affect the change among the people in our little sphere of influence. 
It might be your family members. It might be people that you live in the neighborhood with, people you work with, people you go to school with, people that I'll never see, but you will. And you, that you take that responsibility on yourself that I'm going to start with me and I'm going to begin to present a clear message that saves people and unleashes the power of God in their life. I'm going to live a life they want to be like. This is not pride. This is just saying I'm going to be living for God and that alone will draw them. And I'm going to let them know that I care about them. In the middle of their sin, I'm not going to turn my back on them and say to them, say to them, hey, you're not good enough. I can't be with you. I don't like you. I don't want to be around you. Instead, I'm going to be different from other Christians. And I'm going to start going to them and loving them. Because you see, I know that my God can change them. And that's what I've got to believe. Now guys, what happens if it starts with us? I really believe with all my heart that a church can change overnight if people in the church begin to act that way. I believe that that church can affect the people around them and other churches in the community. If society in the United States is ever really going to change, it has to start in the church. It's not going to start in Washington. It has to start here. And that's the challenge, that we be that kind of a people, be that kind of church. If you're here this morning and you don't understand what grace is all about, let me read you this verse. It's a verse we read a moment ago. I want to go back, and I want you just to sit quietly and listen, okay? If you want to know what a clear, compelling message is, then you've got to start listening, even though you are a believer. Listen to how to present it. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. We read it a moment ago. Let me go back now. We're going to flip it and use it. Watch. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. If you're here this morning and you're wondering how in the world can you ever have the assurance of going to heaven when you die, it's through this gospel. If you're sitting here this morning and you want to change but you don't know how, it's through this gospel. And it is through every, to everyone that believes. Do you understand? Everyone. You say, Pastor, you don't know me. You don't know what, what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter. See, this is the point and the beauty of, of what grace is. God says, come to me the way you are, and I'll change you later. But come. And so here we are, and the, the, the message is, is presented, or the, the appeal. They come to me, and because everyone who believes will be saved. And then in, in the next verse it says this, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. Now stop right there before we go any further. When we read that verse, we think to ourselves, yeah, it's talking about the righteousness of God, His righteousness. God is righteous, holy, good, and just. No, that's not what it's talking about. Watch. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed to us. Watch. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Ooh. The righteousness of God is not God's righteousness. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a righteousness that comes from God. 
The righteousness that comes from God is revealed to all of us who believe. In other words, it's saying God declares you righteous when you put your faith in Him. That's grace. Now please understand this, because if you're sitting here this morning wondering whether you're good enough to get to heaven, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not. You never will be. None of us will. Unless God intervenes. That's what the cross is all about. He sent His Son. He died on the cross. He took your sin, laid it on the cross. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God takes the righteousness of Jesus and credits it to you. That's the righteousness of God credited to you. That's the gospel. When people believe it, the Spirit of God is unleashed. And then they change. Only grace can change a person. Not, not self-righteousness, good works, or hypocrisy. It won't work. Yet we still do it as Christians. It won't work. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I know most all of you who are here this morning, and I have every confidence that you're a believer in Christ. But just in case, there's one here that doesn't know that, doesn't have that assurance. Right here where you sit, make the decision. Weigh weigh what the information you have. Understand what the Bible says. That God loved you. He still loves you just the way you are. But He wants to change you. He'll do that when you become His child. But you have to become His child first. That happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That happens through the grace of God. Right there where you sit, start this journey. Right there. You are accepting or receiving the gift of God and allowing that power to transform your life. Will you receive it? You just call upon the name of the Lord. Like the Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're turning to Jesus. You're calling on Jesus. You recognize it's all about Him. Will you do that? Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here in Your presence, Father, I pray that each one of us understands, recognizes the truth of the Gospel. We've turned from our own self-righteousness and turned to you to receive the righteousness that comes from you. It's not ours. It's yours. And Father, as we receive it, that's when life begins. Father, I pray that we've all done that. And now I pray that we understand the simplicity of how to present it. And that, Father, we would reveal that to people that don't know it. And we would see the power of God come upon them like Paul said he saw in Thessalonica. The power of the Spirit with deep conviction and life-altering decisions. And that, Father, those people's lives can be changed. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be the people that when others look at us, they want to be like that. Not out of pride, but they see something in us. They see you. 
and they want it. And that, Father, we would be the kind of people that are committed to helping others along this journey. Not to be selfish, withdrawn, but to go out, like the Bible says, into the highways and the byways. Be concerned about them. Father, give us that concern. Break our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.